Awesome. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Trey. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at Harvest, and I just want to say welcome. It is so good to see each and every single one of you. Um, if you are like me, I am from Florida, and I, but I will attest to this, that this heat that we have been experiencing over the past couple weeks um, is borderline offensive, right? Like you feel like the sun owes us all an apology for just how hot it has been. It has been absolutely um, ridiculous. And, um, but I just want to say I'm glad you're here. Thank you for uh, being here. Maybe this is your escape from the heat. We're glad you're here. Um, but we are starting a brand new collection of talks uh, starting today called The Five. And here at Harvest, um, we, are, uh, we have five core values that we believe, and you can find them on our website, but we wanted to do a series about it. And we believe um, that God's Word teaches five core values that for, for us as Jesus followers, that if we were to put into practice, we would be more like Him. And in fact, we would be able to step into all that God has actually called us to be. Because God, it, who we become and who we are, it matters to him. And so we have started this series starting today called The Five. And I'm excited for today because today we're going to be talking about the first of our five core values here at Harvest. And the first one is simply this, that we just want to share Jesus. Like we are called, like the video just said, to share Jesus. And I do want to give a little uh, heads up for today. Today's message, um, in my opinion, um, maybe the single greatest message that I could share um, with the local church today. Um, and that's not a pat on the back. It's, it's honestly just me going to God's word. But today's message for where we are in our world right now and in culture right now, I think this may be the most single, most important message that I could give you on any given Sunday today. Um, so if you are a first time guest, I want to say thank you. Glad you're here. Welcome to our family room. Um, I, I, I am excited for today. A couple weeks ago, I was uh, up in Jacksonville, Florida, which is where I'm from. Shout out Jacksonville. And uh, I, I was up there and I was eating at the Southern Five Star Restaurant. Maybe you've heard of it. You can buy clothes there. You can buy Christmas gifts there. You can buy candy there. You can, there's 50 selections of root beer you can buy from there. And on top of that, exqueen, exqueen, uh, like divine cuisine. Um, it is known as uh, Cracker Barrel. Anybody heard of it? Anybody love crack, Cracker Barrel? Awesome. Okay, Cracker Barrel is goaded. It's not here in St. Cloud. They deserve one. Uh, but uh, I was eating a Cracker Barrel with my dad and... Um, we were just having this conversation, and it, it got to this point where I just, my dad's a pastor, and I, and I trust his biblical insight and wisdom, and I just presented this problem that we kind of wrestled with over, for over an hour at breakfast. And here's what I've noticed, and maybe here's what you've noticed in our culture, especially right now. It seems like and would feel like that we have this set of beliefs. We have this moral compass and this moral guidebook that is unwavering called the Bible. And this is kind of our set of beliefs. This is how we think. This is how we operate. This is how we act. This is how we live. It's all based on the morality of the teachings of scriptures. And this is, what, this is how we, what we do. And then there is a, another group of people 
who do not follow Jesus, who would not consider themselves Christians, who say, but this is how we live our lives. And it's not based on some book of morality. It's just on the morality of the human spirit. It's whatever we feel is true. And so even though it is ever changing and even though their truth, which truth in and of itself, by definition, is not changing or wavering. True is true. But in their in their definition and their mindset and their thought process, they live out their truth and that truth can be forever changing. But that is the road that they walk. And so we have Christians and Jesus followers on this side walking this way, unwilling to change, unwavering in our stance. And then we have this group of people over here walking this way, unwavering in their decision making, unwavering in their belief system and unwilling to change. And I feel like, and and when you get on social media more than ever right now, each party thinks the other is the enemy. You have this side over here. And I'm like, hey, those people over there are so dumb for thinking and believing like that. Like, if any sense of, 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 of intellect were to enter into their mind, they would obviously come over here to our side. And in fact, the way we talk about them and think about them and believe about them and post about them leads them to believe that we think that they are just utterly stupid. And then you got this group of people over here who think they are the most old school, conservative, you insert the blank, like bigoted, misogynist, like they are those people over there. And I don't understand how they could stay in that way whenever humanity, whenever the earth, whenever culture is finally starting to make progress, they want to stay in their ways. They are so ridiculous. They're so crazy. They're, they're so, insert words I can't say up here, but that's who they are. And now I feel like we are at this point where Christianity, which was kind of the American standard of morality and kind of how things were set in stone and really widely for a long time culturally accepted, is now being pushed to the fringes, pushed to the side. And we think they're the enemy and they think we're the enemy And we are not drifting closer together. We are, in fact, drifting farther and farther apart. And what do we do? You get on social media, there is no middle ground. You post an opinion on social media, and you'll either have 50 amens or 50 non-amens, and it's a long paragraph explaining how you're the worst person on the planet. And then you're on this side and you post something and it's either 50 amens or it's 50 you're the worst person on the planet. What do we do? This is a real tension in culture right now of what do we do? Do we hunker down in our homes and our tight little friend groups and and just say, hey, it's our community. Let Let me just protect us. We're not leaving the house. Like it's, just, it's just our community. It's just our family. It's just our friend group. And, and this is what we're going to stick to because everybody in this little community, friend group, family group, looks like us, dressed like us, thinks like us, and believes like us. And this is where we are 
safe. Because the people out there, oh, they're the enemy. But I want to pose the question, how do we reach a people that we actually abandon? How can we find reconciliation with people that we've left? To be a witness of Jesus to people, how can we do that if we leave? How can we share Jesus with people we have no affiliation or connection with? Because we have decided that people who don't think like us, look like us, act like us are the enemy, so we seclude ourselves. And now when we look at Scripture and it says to share Jesus, we're looking at our circles going, everybody I know knows Jesus. And that right there and lies a problem. But Trey, aren't we called to be set apart, right? I, I know my Bible. Doesn't the Bible call us to be a peculiar people? So what do we do? In the book of 1 Corinthians, um, which is where we're going to be this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. Phones, swipe there. If neither, it'll be on the Sky Bible for your convenience. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Here's what's happening. The Apostle Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, is writing to this church in Corinth. Hence why it's called 1 Corinthians. He's writing this letter to this church in Corinth. And what's been happening in this church is Paul helps start this church in this city. Now, this city um, is kind of like a mini country. It is where trades happen. It's where like giant buildings were built. It was an epicenter for, for art. It was this huge city filled with wealth, higher education, and really celebrated and embraced and practiced a lot of the Greek culture that was so highly thought of back in the day. The problem was the Christians in this day and age, the church really started to embrace the, the Greek philosophy, um, the Greek theology of their beliefs and started to put into practice Greek religious practices in the church. And so these things started to get blended where they started to take the nation that they celebrated and the beliefs that were taught, the biblical beliefs that were taught, and started to blend the two. Where biblical and national seemed almost married and inseparable, which is not a problem in our day and age today, is it? Where the national and the biblical start to blend together and we start to become more Americans who are Christians than Christians who happen to live in America. And so Paul writes this letter and he wants to address something and he, and he, he starts to remind them of the gospel and in light of the good news of Jesus, he instructs them on what life should actually look like, the mindset we should have and the way we should be living. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23, read it very quickly and it says this, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many people as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I am myself not under the law. So as to win those under the law, to those not having the law, I became like the one not having the law through Christ. I am not, or though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so, by, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. The key phrase I want to focus on can be found in verse 22 and it's what Paul says. He says, I have become all things 
to all people so that I might save some. What does Paul mean by this and how does this apply to our lives? Well, to give you some example, here's what Paul did, the Apostle Paul did. Here's what he did to reach more people. Number one, Paul established a rapport with the Greeks before telling them about Jesus. He stood amongst their main idols and commented, and commented on their devotion to their gods. So here's Paul standing amongst um, uh, people who practice uh, uh, Greek religion. He's, he, he's amongst people as they worship the Roman gods and the Roman idols. And he doesn't stand there going like, hey, you're all going to hell. He stands there and watches them and, and listens to them as they speak and as they talk and as they devote their lives to something that will never actually fulfill its promises. And he just goes, man, I commend you. Like, your devotion to your God, it's amazing how devoted you are to them and, and, the, and the sacrifice that you, you make in your lives to devote your lives to this God. Man, it's commendable. But let me tell you, this God you worship, and here's where Paul would make the switch, this God you worship, has it ever actually fulfilled on its promises? This God you worship, it promises you this, but I'm here to tell you that I know a God who is above all gods, who is above everything, and is actually the one true God. And he would use this moment where he had built a relationship with them, where he wasn't coming at them and attacking them. He had sat there, he had watched them, he had gone through life with them. And he goes, man, you the way you live your life and committed to these gods, man, it's commendable. But can I just encourage you with something? There's a greater option. That there's a greater king, that there's a greater God, that there is a person named Jesus who loves you. And that's how he built his rapport with the Greek philosophers. How about this one? Paul used his knowledge of Judaism to have a high level of discussion with Jewish leaders. Paul used, because Paul grew up in Jewish tradition, he was really smart according to the Jewish law, and he used that to reach the people um, who were under the law of Judaism. How about this one? Paul became a citizen of Rome, so that way he could travel, no longer known as a Jew, but as a Roman of Jewish descent. He gave up his citizenship as a Jew, his nationality known as a Jew, to become a, a part of the nation of Rome, so that way he could travel wherever he wanted to go to help plant churches and advance the kingdom of God. How about this one? He did what he could to find common ground with people. He knew how to behave in a Hebrew home, a Roman home, a Greek home. He learned how to talk to different cultures. He learned how to fit in in different cities. He learned how to talk to different churches. He learned how to talk to different age groups. Nothing was going to stop Paul. So he became all thanks to all people. Why did Paul do this and why should we? Because Paul loved people so much like Jesus did. He did whatever he could to reach all people. And I think a question that we need to stop and ask ourselves, and I think you need to stop and ask yourself, and I stop and ask myself is this, do I love people like that? Or is it only, again, the people that look like me, think like me, dress like me, act like me? Do I love people enough to even think or consider about taking some of these steps? Very relevant and um, culturally relevant thing to talk about right now is um, the Roe versus Wade ruling. And I, first of all, 
would like to put out there, and I know we haven't really talked about it, and, but I just want to put out there, we are a pro-life church. And I celebrate, and we celebrate the, the, the ruling that came out of the Supreme Court. Like, we celebrate the fact that there are going to be lives that will see the light of day because of that ruling. And I am so happy. And when I saw it, I, I, I started to tear up because of just the joy of the fact that life will get to see the light of day because of this ruling. And, I, and, I, and I, we are, our church celebrates that. We are so happy. We are not quiet about it either. Like, we are pro-life. But I will also say this, the way that Christians have celebrated has not done anything but burn bridges instead of build them. The way that some Christians have, have celebrated has not been in a really celebratory way, but more so a condemning of the people who disagree with us. And when it comes to reaching people, we have burned bridges instead of built them because how we have celebrated has been done in a mocking and condemning way rather than a truly just celebrating life kind of way. And we make an even greater divide when we do this. We push away the people we're called to reach, the ones who we are called to reconcile with. Because again, remember, we have this set of views and this biblical belief that life matters. And that God, from the instant life is conceived, is already starting to begin to knit together in the mother's womb. That, that, that child, according to heaven, has a soul, it has a name, it has a purpose, and God has a plan for its life. And that is what we believe. But then you have this group of people over here who believes differently. And they think we're the enemy because they feel like we are attacking their freedom. And we think they're the enemy because of how they want to live their lives, because of their view of abortion, because of their view of this lane that they are running in. How do we reconcile? Can I be honest with you? This group of people is not looking to reconcile with the church. This group of people is not looking to Christians and going, you know what? We need to do a better job of loving them and, and becoming friends with them and, 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 and having dinners with them and, and doing all this stuff and building relationship and building that reconcil reconcil like, and building that moment where we can have reconciliation. So if this group isn't doing it, and as of right now, this group isn't doing it, then our culture is on an eternal split down the middle and we will never reach people the way God has called us to. Jesus followers, if you are in this room and you say, I, I claim Jesus, I, have, I follow Jesus, and I know one day I will spend eternity in heaven with Jesus because I've accepted his free gift of salvation, great, that just isn't your free ticket into heaven. That is your marching orders now to go and to reconcile to a very lost world that you are called to reach. So what do we do? When we are so different, and yet we know that we have to reconcile with them to reach them, what do we do? Well, Paul tells us, and I'm, I'm going to give four quick things that I believe um, will help us step into and, and reach people. How do we become all things to all people like Paul talked about? Number one, listen before speaking. 
Listen before speaking. We are often way too eager to speak on an issue that a lot of us are actually uneducated on. Not, not lacking opinion, but lacking education on the matter. Because we feel the need to speak, because we feel the need to have a voice, we will just say something, say whatever. And in reality, half the time when we say something, it does more harm than it does help. A common mistake we make is having something to say to a person without even hearing what they're actually really saying. I have not shared a lot of my story with our church yet, and the more we get to know each other and the more um, dinners we have with different families, the more um, you will get to hear a little bit of my story. But here, here's part of my story, is I did not marry my wife um, a virgin. Part of my story is in my past, there was sexual brokenness in my story. And I remember as me and my wife, we were, we were dating or engaged, I would sit at dinners and we would sit with Christian friends and the way they would talk about sexual sin was, can you believe so-and-so, they're sleeping with their boyfriend, they're sleeping with their girlfriend. Um, and, and me and my wife were not sleeping together at the time. We are now, shout out. Uh, we, um, we were not sleeping together at the time. Um, but in my past, there was sexual brokenness. I had lost my virginity, and I would be sitting at these tables, and the way that they would just condemn sexual sin, the people, not just the sin, but the people committing the sin, like, can you believe so-and-so? How can they do this? How can they think like this? How, how do they sleep at night? And I'm sitting at the table going, and that's me. And that person lost all all influence in my life, lost all ability to speak any truth into my life because I knew how they would think about me if I actually revealed what I had really and truly been walking through. Why? Because they spoke first without even trying to hear from anybody else. It would do our culture, it would do American Christianity, it would do our churches a whole lot of good if we stop speaking and spewing truths out there, truths that we think are truths, out there without even once hearing what people are walking through. Without even once hearing how they actually feel. Listen, hear them, their heart. Why? Because when we hear, more often than not, we tend to care about the person more than actually the problem. When we listen, we tend to care more about the person more than we care about the problem. But when we speak first, we, we, we care more about the problem than sometimes we do about the person. Whenever Jesus never came to change our behavior, he came to change us from the inside out, the essence of who we are, the person. So number one, uh, listen before speaking. Number two, be kind. If winning, this is kind of like a, a does statement, right? If winning an argument or a debate does not reveal the love, compassion, or kindness of Jesus, you haven't won, you've lost. If you go into an argument with somebody and you walk away going, that idiot, I just demolished them verbally and mentally. And they're behind going, I hate Christians even more. I'm here to tell you, you have not won. You have lost. If you go into a conversation 
and you leave and you say, I didn't get to speak all of my opinions about that matter. I just know that when I leave that that person knows the love of Jesus greater than when I, before I came into the room. I'm here to tell you, you have won. Be kind. Be kind in your words. Be kind in your thoughts. Be kind in how you speak about people at the dinner table whenever it's just you and your family. Why? Because your kids are listening. Be kind one to another. This isn't a hippie point. It's a biblical point. Be kind. Number three, be sensitive to culture. Be sensitive to culture. Um, I went to a Bible college, and some of my friends who went to the same Bible college, they're, um, now there's one in Togo, West Africa, and there's another one in, in, um, in Poland. And what they had to do before they were even allowed by the organizations and churches that, were, that sent them overseas and funded them, they had to go to this little camp in North Carolina to go through uh, culture sensitivity training where they had to learn about the culture they were walking into. They had to learn how the people dress, how the people talk, what am I allowed to wear, what's appropriate to wear. What's, so like for example, in Africa, when me and my wife were dating when we were in Africa, if we were holding hands, it was a sign in that culture that we were sleeping together. It's something you never even think about. Like to me, I'm like holding hands like butterflies in my stomach, like this is as far as we're gonna get to marriage. Like, let's go, baby. And but to them, they were like, hey, this is like you are sleeping together according to our culture because that's how you show it. And it's stuff like that where you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And then you go through these, and they were there for a good bit, cut off from the rest of the world to receive cultural training, to learn how to how to professionally and as effectively as possible preach the gospel to that culture. Why do we think that we're the exception? Somebody's struggling out there. We don't have to approve of the culture, but we do need to know it. By listening first, being kind, this is actually easier than actually you can comprehend. Well, getting to know the culture, does that mean I have to wear skinny jeans, Jordans, have to wear a jacket in 95 degree weather like you're wearing right now? No, absolutely not. That's not what I'm talking about. Wear your sandals and socks. I don't care. That's not what I'm talking about. I am talking about, though, being knowledgeable and not condemning a generation because that culture is different than yours. And not abandoning a generation because they're different than yours, but in fact, learning how to speak to that generation. Authentically, but nonetheless, learning how to understand that culture and that generation. And then number four. So number one, listen. Number two, be kind. Number three, learn the culture. Learn the culture. Number four, deal with prejudice. Prejudice of every kind has been a part of human history since the beginning of time. Despite how hard we try, we all carry some form of prejudice in our lives against certain people groups. Ironically, even those who denounce prejudice of any sort are usually quite prejudiced against the people that they think are prejudiced. But admitting to God our own pride and repenting of judgmental attitudes and lack of love should be an ongoing process for Christians wanting to follow Paul's example of being all things to all people. 
As a former Pharisee, Paul had to deal with his own prejudice against other Pharisees. And as a former former Pharisee as well, he had to deal with his prejudice against the Gentiles who the Pharisees actually hated and despised. This is how we live a life so that we can share Jesus with more people. Those four things, they can all come down to this. Like the Christian life, as Christians, you may disagree with me, but you're not really disagreeing with me, you're disagreeing with Scripture. Here's what we're called to do. We're called to be as inoffensive as possible to the rest of the world. We are called to be as inoffensive as possible to culture. That's what we are called to be. The only thing offensive about our lives to the rest of the world should be the message we carry, and that is that we will spend eternity in one of two places, and the only way for you to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus is by accepting and acknowledging he came, he lived, he died, he rose again, and now sits in eternity, and he is the way, the truth, and the life that no man comes into the Father but through him. That should be the only thing offensive about our lives. Because the message of the cross in and of itself it is dividing. It is offensive. And what Paul is saying is that should be the only thing offensive about your life is the message you carry. The message of the cross. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So when we gather in churches like this, which many people think is crazy, you have two days off a week and you're going to wake up early on one of them to go and sing songs and to listen to some guy speak for 30 to 40 minutes, you're crazy. To think that this is how you are going to live your life, shepherd your family, raise your family by based off of some old book, And even more beyond that, the ritual side of things, of how we live and how we operate, you're going to tell me that beyond a shadow of a doubt, that beyond the clouds and beyond the blue sky, that you think there is some man up in the heavens who stepped down to earth as a human, lived a sinless life, picked one of the weirdest time periods to come in, according to us, and he's going to subject himself And he's going to hang on a cross and he's going to give up his own life and he's going to be buried in a tomb. And you're telling me three days later by his own merit, he stood up, walked out, and now he says the same life that that I have proven can overcome the grave is now available to you. And so now you think that if you just simply believe and trust that Jesus is who he says he is, That one day when you move on from this life and your body hits the dirt and you breathe your last breath, that you will spend eternity, an incomparable uh, uh, thing to think about and comprehend, eternity. We we like to think in things like time schedule, but eternity is incomprehensible. And you're meaning to tell me that you think we are going to spend eternity with this king, with this person. Yeah. (laughs) Well, man, more power to you, but you're an idiot. And walks away. To the people who do not believe what we believe, we will always be the fools. But we know the power of the cross 
We know what we believe. We know what Scripture teaches. This is our foundation of faith. We're not going to apologize for that. If you're coming here thinking like this is some new, cool, trendy church, again, where the pastor wears a jacket in 95-degree weather, he's probably going to pass out on his way home because it's so hot outside, you're probably right. Like, is this some new, cool, trendy church where they just preach opinions and it's all about feelings? And No, we preach the Word of God because this is a timeless truth. Remember our definition of truth. Truth does not change. It cannot change. So this is what we believe. And we believe that, yeah, there are two roads to take in this life. And one of them is destined to an eternity in heaven. And another is destined to an eternal place called hell. Both are eternal. One is with God and one is separation from God. And you have this life to choose. That is what we believe. And it may sound offensive, but that should be the only offensive thing about our lives. And I'm here to tell you this, that the Jesus followers in the room, when we disagree, when they are so opposing or opposed to us, you know what our natural instinct is, is let's just walk the road with the people we're walking this road on already and let's just stay safe. Let's just stay comfortable. When in actuality, our job is to bring as many people from that side of the road to this side of the road in our lifetime. And we cannot do that if we abandon. We cannot do that if we reject. And I'm here to tell you this. Not once in Scripture does God call people the enemy. There is only one enemy. And these people walking this road are victims of that enemy. So we should not look at them with anger, bitterness, and hate, but rather compassion, rather love, rather with our spirits feeling sorry for them because they have bought into a lie that will never fulfill its promises. We are called to reach them. And I'm here to tell you at Harvest, yes, we have a mission statement. Our mission statement, you can find it on our website, is this. We are here to help people know and follow Jesus. But there is an underlying mission statement that is in our staff meetings. There's an underlying mission statement that is in our volunteer huddles. There's an underlying mission statement that um, from, the top, from the top level down, this is actually our mission statement, that we will do anything short of sin to reach people who do not know Jesus. We will do anything short of sin to, people who, to reach people who do not know Jesus. Why? Because eternity is too long to be wrong. And they matter. So will you join me? Will you join us? Is your passion for winning others, your friends, your family, is it growing or is it shrinking the farther these two roads seem to drift apart from each other. If it is shrinking, then I'm here to tell you, you have not been living on mission. Because a biblical missionary is not people we send, but it is those who are sent to the other side, and that is all of us. I want to close with a quick story. I was a youth pastor for six years, and um, had an amazing youth group, and 
there was this girl in our student ministry who me and my wife both love, and um, she was on our student leadership team, and <clears throat> I challenged our student leadership team to take the gospel seriously. And I could see in her heart and in her eyes that something just clicked one summer. She just, she got it. She picked up on it of like, this is what I'm called to do. I am not just a student who is a volleyball player. I am not just a volleyball player who happens to go to church. I am walking revival wherever I go because of the message I carry, because of the message I believe. And whether I am playing volleyball, I'm a walking revival. Whether I'm at the grocery store, I'm a walking revival. Whether I'm in my school, whether I'm in my classroom, whether I'm in my home, I am a walking revival because of the message I believe, the message I know, and the message I carry. And you saw something click in her heart, in her eyes, in her mind. And we came back from summer, summer break, and we, we launched student ministry again. And she was going into the 11th grade. And her 11th grade girls small group was averaging about six to seven students every single Wednesday night. And then next thing I know, I'm, I get done preaching and we break out into small groups on Wednesday night. And I'm walking by all the small groups and I'm like, there's eighth grade boys, there's the eighth grade girls, seventh grade boys, seventh grade girls, the eleventh grade boys. And I'm walking by the eleventh grade girls small group and there's 20 people there. I'm like, uh, mental note. So I asked the small group leader, like, what happened? And she said, well, this girl Sheridan brought like, it feels like an army. It feels like an army of people that I had never seen before. Why? I'm like, Okay. So the next Wednesday, before we start the service, I, I see Sheridan and I go, hey, like, really good for you. Like, I'm, I'm so proud of you. I'm so happy for you that you brought all these people. Like, what did they think of our church? And she goes, oh, they loved it. And in fact, five of them got saved last week. I was like, what? She's like, yeah. And now they get to spend eternity with me and Jesus in heaven forever. And I was like, okay, you get it. Well, I'm passing by the small group the next week, and there's more of them. I'm like, this is like a quarter of our youth group right here. It's just in the 11th grade girls' small group. And then three more people that same Wednesday accept Jesus. And next thing you know, our church's next baptism Sunday, the, almost the entire 11th grade girls' small group are the only ones that signed up to get baptized. But we baptized like 10 to 15 of them that Sunday. Why? Because our youth ministry caught on and we got it. Because 250 students said, yeah, we'll take the gospel. No. Because one person understood. One person got it. And she grew her community of believers from 5 to 25 in a matter of a month. And these were girls she had spent years going to school with. And in fact, they knew she was a Christian. And she said, it felt a little awkward because it felt like I had let them down for all these years because they knew I was a Christian and I had done nothing about it. But at some point I got over my pride. I got over myself and said, this is bigger than me. This is beyond me. And I need to invite them anyways. And as a result, 15 young 11th grade girls two years ago came to know and follow Jesus and their lives, I'm here to tell you, as a like their lives forever changed. How they carried themselves changed. I would get calls from the teachers and the schools saying, what is happening? I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, the 11th grade is completely changing right now in our school. Why? Because one girl, without any fear, full of faith, said yes. Some of the girls were on the softball team. Some of the girls... Uh, we're on the um, debate team. So it didn't matter to her. 
She became all things to all people. And that expanded her reach and she did anything short of sin to reach them. I'm here to tell you, yes, there may be a hundred people in our church this morning, but I'm here to tell you, if, it, if one person gets it, if one person can, it clicks with them and God, and they accept the challenge. God reveals the, the mission of, hum, of saved humanity, of redeemed humanity to you. This church will share Jesus like no other. So will you join us? Will you join Jesus in his great mission to redeem humanity? Not one person is too far gone. As long as somebody has breath in their lungs, they are a candidate for redemption. So will you join us? Will you take the challenge to share Jesus with somebody this week? Call them. Text them. Say, hey, I know it's been a while. I just want to let you know I'm praying for you. And if there's anything me and my family could ever do, we're here. And Jesus loves you. That's all I wanted to say to you. Send. Call somebody. Show up at their door. If you look around at your circle and you say, there are no lost people in my circle, it's good to have that circle. But it's time to look to see who who God has placed in your life or will place in your life that you need to reach for them. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray. And after I'm done praying, we're going to respond and worship. And you can pray where you are. You can, you can stay seated. You can stand. We're just going to spend some time together and just responding, responding in prayer, responding in song, and just worshiping Jesus. Thank you guys so much for coming. After worship, we'll be dismissed. But I just want to say thank you. From my heart, thank you guys for being here. I hope to see you here next week. Dear God, I love you and I'm thankful for you. You're great. You're amazing. As we go into this, this time of worship to close the service, God, I pray that, God, you would ignite a fire in somebody in this room. If it was everybody, fantastic. But if it's just one, oh, the damage that person can do to the enemy is, God, it, it, it is amazing what you can do through one person who says yes to the call. God, you are great. You're amazing. I pray that this group would become all things to all people, to reach people that have been forgotten, who have been put, God, on the margins of culture, on the fray of our world and of our country, of our community. And that we would understand and grasp the challenge. We will do anything short of sin to help people know and follow Jesus. God, you're great. You're amazing. We love you. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.